to the Psalms, Psalm 45. we'll just read the whole psalm here. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon thy lips. Therefore God has blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword on thy thigh, O mighty one in thy splendor and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let thy right hand teach thee awesome things. Thine arrows are sharp, the people fall under thee. Thine arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of joy above thy fellows. All thy garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory palaces stringed instruments have made thee glad. King's daughters are among thy noble ladies. At thy right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Listen, O daughter, give attention and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. Then the king will desire your beauty, because he is your lord. Bow down to him. And the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will entreat your favor. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is interwoven with gold. She will be led to the king in embroidered work. The virgins, her companions who follow her, will be brought to thee. They will be led forth with gladness and rejoicing. They will enter into the king's palace. In the place of your fathers will be your sons. You shall make them princes in all the earth. I will cause thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore the peoples will give thee thanks forever and ever. Well, let's pray here once once again. Father, we pray for your help as we look at this psalm. Pray that you might bring home your truth to our hearts. Help us to see things that will help us to worship you and serve you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I said I was going to read this whole psalm to you, but I didn't really do that. Uh, There is a little section before verse 1 that we normally don't read, but it it was actually in the Scriptures. Now, if you have a Bible like mine... There is a a title to this psalm. It says, A Song Celebrating the King's Marriage. Now, that's 
That's not in the Bible. That's just something that was put in there to help us uh, understand a little bit of this, uh, what this psalm's about. But this next part where it says for the choir director, that's, that's in the Bible. We don't usually read that part, but it's in there. Uh, now, we, maybe one of the reasons we don't read this uh, sometimes is because there's some things we don't know what they mean. Uh, for the choir director, we can understand that because it's a psalm. Get the choir director tipped on to what this, how it's supposed to be uh, presented. Uh, but then it says, according to the Shushanim. Well, I tried to find out what that meant. And you can see if you have a scripture like mine that it's, it says possibly lilies. But they don't know why that's put like that. One one commentator said, well, maybe it was a instrument shaped like a lily. Well, maybe. So I can't say much on that. And then it says a miskal of the sons of Korah. Well, this miskal, I can't say too much on that either. It says it might be a contemplative or didactic or skillful psalm. That's what that word may mean. And then it says the sons of Korah. Now that ought to cause a little question in your mind. The sons of Korah are singing a song, uh, praising God. I thought Korah uh, was killed because of, of his rebellion against Moses and Aaron. Well, that's true. Korah and those others, 250 that uh, followed him and his rebellion, all it says the earth just opened up and swallowed them. So how do we have these sons of Korah here? Well, uh, I don't know exactly how, but the Bible tells us sp- specifically that the sons of Korah were not killed. Uh, let's look at Numbers 26, 11. <clears throat> Uh, 26, Numbers 26, 11. Uh, well, if you start with verse 10, and the earth opened, it's given an account of what happened there uh, when Korah and the others rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up along with Korah when that company died, when the fire devoured 100, uh, 250 men so that they became a warning. The sons of Korah, however, did not die. And to me, I think this is just a testimony of God's grace right in uh, this fact that here are the sons of Korah are writing a psalm. I, a evil person, so much so that God had the earth open up and just swallow them alive. And yet here are some of the sons of Korah writing this psalm. In fact, uh, if you look, it's not just this psalm. Um, Psalm 42. See the little uh, heading there? Psalm 42. A miscal of the sons of Korah. And then you look over at 44. You see the same thing. And, of course, in 45, skip on to 46, another psalm 
of the sons of Korah. Uh, 47, 48, 49. So, and I think there are some others also. Um, so here, the sons of Korah, um, praising God. And I, uh, all, again, we don't know for sure if they were told in the scriptures that they were appointed as singers uh, in the tabernacle and temple. So it's fitting that this was uh, related to them, this Psalm 45, because here's a, a, either they were singing, they were supposed to sing this song, or maybe they wrote this song. I, it's hard to say. But one way or the other, they were associated closely with this Psalm 45. So that's just a little bit of introduction. But it also says, after that, a song of love. A song of love. Lots of love songs throughout history. But here's one that God had specifically written, a song of love. And it's addressed to the king. That's what it says there in verse 1. I address my verses to the king. It was celebrating his marriage. So we have a lovely psalm here, written, I think, out of love and about love. Another thing we don't know about this psalm is what king, what earthly king it was referring to, what Jewish king it was written concerning. Uh, maybe Solomon, that's uh, probably the best guess. But uh, we do know that ultimately the king that it's referring to um, is the king of the true king of Israel, the king of kings, king of creation. We know that it was written concerning Christ because it's quoted in the New Testament as referring to him. So... Here is a psalm concerning the king's marriage, and we're talking about the king of kings. The first thing I would say concerning this psalm, and we're really we're just going to look at the first two verses tonight and hopefully go on with some of the other thoughts in it in the future. But the first thing I'd say is that if you're going to sing a song to the king, it needs to come from the heart. If we're talking about singing to the King of Kings, that has to be true. Uh, all praise to Christ must start down on the heart level. Otherwise, it's not something that's pleasing to him. It's a vain repetition, and it would be what is spoken of as honoring him with our lips, but our heart be being far from him. Heartless hymns are really no praise to God. But this was from the heart. In fact, it was a heart overflowing. He says, my heart overflows <coughs> with a good theme. Uh, another translation of that is the heart was a stirred, stirred up. He was emotional this person that wrote this psalm. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. 
In fact, that's the way it should be. A heart overflowing, bubbling over with joy and praise and adoration. It was emotional, but it wasn't just emotional because you see, as you read through it, that it's filled with content, filled with truth. Uh, it was worship in spirit and truth. I like the way Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, It is a sad thing when the heart is cold with a good matter. And worse, when it's warm with a bad matter. You can get emotional in your singing and it may be about something bad. Well, that's, that's worse. But, incomparably well when a warm heart and a good matter meet together. Here you have a warm heart and a good matter that are coming together uh, in this song. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verse verses to the king. He had a theme and it was a good theme. In fact, it's the best of themes. What better theme can employ our heart and our tongue than the person and work of Christ? The beauty of Christ, really this psalm is about the beauty of Christ and his bride and their love for each other. Christ is the theme and also the one to whom the song is addressed. Well, so much so-called praise and worship is unfortunately done for the eye of man, but that was not the case here. True worship has this one concern, to address the king, to address God. And he says, My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Now that's quite a picture. I think it's the idea as a pen is in the hand of a person taking dictation. Uh, this tongue was ready and yielded to God to be used to glorify him. Just the way the secretary would be just ready to write down what the boss says. Well, that's the way this man says, my tongue is a pen of a ready writer. I'm, I'm ready to bring forth whatever you want in the area of praise. Well, then he goes on and mentions in verse 2, he mentions three things he praises the king for. In verse 2, thou art fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon thy lips, therefore God has blessed thee forever. Three things he's praising the king for. He's praising him for his beauty, his gracious lips, and in general just his blessedness, his blessedness from God. So, uh, we wish, I just want to take a little time here this evening to uh, expand on those. And then we'll, we'll uh, be done for this evening. Three things he's praising the king for. First of all, his beauty. He's lovely beyond all others. Thou art fairer 
than the sons of men. When we're thinking here of Christ, uh, of course, we're, we're told that uh, in just his person, as far as his appearance, uh, Isaiah said he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. But that's not what the psalmist is talking about. He's speaking of the inward character, the true personality of this person that he's praising here. And he says he was fairer than all the sons of men. There was a beauty of soul, a radiance of life that caused the psalmist here and, you might say it this way, his bride to see the, the wonder and the beauty of the one being spoken of. Um, caused his bride to say, as it's said in Song of Solomon, that he is altogether lovely. Thou art fairer than the sons of men. Thou art altogether lovely. Wholly desirable. Nothing undesirable about this one. Can't say that about any other person. There may be some many wonder, wonderful attributes in a person, but if you dig around deep enough, you're going to find something that's undesirable there. But not this one. Not this one that this psalm was written about. He's altogether lovely. And the church has been saying that about Christ <coughs> through the centuries. I want to give you a couple quotes here. Thomas Brooks said it this way. Christ is lovely. Christ is very lovely. Christ is most lovely. Christ is always lovely. Christ is altogether lovely. He didn't want you to miss the point. <clears throat> uh, Philip Schaff, in his history of, of the Christian church, uh, he says, A catalog of virtues and graces, however complete, would merely give us a mechanical view it's the spotless purity and the sinlessness of Jesus as acknowledged by friend and foe that raises his character high above the reach of all others. In him we see the even harmony and symmetry of all graces, his love for God and man, his dignity and humility, his strength and tenderness, his greatness and simplicity, and his self-control and submission. It's the absolute perfection of Christ's character that makes him a moral miracle in history. A moral miracle. There's never been anyone like it. See, he's altogether lovely. There's nothing unlovely there. Search as deep as you can go. He's fairer than the sons of men. Well, of course, probably... What comes to mind as another example of the church bringing this forth is a song that we sing quite often. Fair are the meadows, fairer still the woodlands, robed in the blooming garb of spring. Jesus is fairer, Jesus is purer, 
who makes the woeful heart to sing. Fair is the sunshine, fair is still the moonlight, and all the twinkling starry host. Jesus shines brighter, Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. Fairer than the sons of men, fairer than the angels, fairer than everything. Altogether lovely. So that's the first thing the psalmist brings out. Thou art fairer than the sons of men. The next, grace is poured upon thy lips. Not only beauty in person, in his person, but grace in his speech. Gracious speech reaching its highest perfection in him. His mouth is filled with sweetness. Well, let's go ahead and turn to that. It's in the Song of Solomon. Both of those are right in the same verse. Chapter 5, and I think it's verse 16. Yeah. This is the, the bride speaking of the bridegroom. The church speaking of Christ. Uh, you can see that if you go back to verse 10, but we won't read all the way through it. We'll just start with verse 16. His mouth is full of sweetness, and he is wholly desirable, altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So, we're looking now at the fact that his speech was gracious, always gracious. He spoke nothing but from, but what he heard from the Father. And we're told that it was said, never a man spake the way this man speaks. All that heard him marveled at the gracious word proceeding from his mouth. <coughs> words of wisdom, words of love, words of purity and goodness and gentleness and holiness and forgiveness and comfort were always coming forth from his mouth. He was the perfect man that James spoke of when he said, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. There's only one person that's never stumbled in what they said, and that was Christ. His words had authority and power. If he spoke to the raging sea, he could say, be still, and it was still. To demons, he could say, come out, and they obeyed. To a dead man, he could say, come forth, and he would come forth. In other words, he spake, and it was done. His was the voice of the king, you see. This is the marriage of the king. And when the king speaks, people obey. 
his lips with grace o'erflow. So the psalmist praised the king for his beauty and for his gracious lips. And lastly, in verse 2, for his blessedness. Therefore God has blessed thee forever. Never was a man blessed the way this man was blessed. Um, here in this psalm, we see a couple other instances of this blessedness. Um, verse 6. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hast anointed thee with the oil of joy above thy fellows. Now, that, that's how we know for sure that this is speaking about Christ. Because if you turn uh, to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, you see that quoted. Chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews is showing the superiority of Christ. And uh, he's speaking here in relationship to the angels. Uh, but he uses this verse, and beginning... Well, we better read the whole section here for. For, for to which of the angels did he ever say, that, verse 5, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. So, speaking of Christ here and the blessedness of this one uh, that uh, this psalm is written about. God has bestowed on him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Mankind has been blessed beyond their wildest imagination, really, because of this blessed one. God has blessed thee forever. Now, the fact is that God gives many blessings to us in this life, but if we are to have God's eternal blessing on our life, we must recognize that Christ is the one who God has blessed forever. Um, in a unique way. All other blessedness is derived and secondary. 
angels and men and all things blessed by God are blessed because of Christ. The further anyone goes from him, the less blessing you have. All blessedness is relative except his. His is absolute. He is blessed in and of himself. Any blessedness not derived from his is fading and fleeting, but his is eternal. God has blessed thee forever. He is the blessed one who brings eternal blessing. And if we're to have God's eternal blessing in our life, we must recognize that Christ is the one whom God has blessed forever. Now, I think it's significant here that the writer of Hebrews takes this section out of this psalm, which I, I don't think that if the sons of Korah were singing it or if they wrote it, either way, they didn't know what they were writing here. They had no idea. Uh, because this blessed one is far more blessed than they could possibly realize. Because not only is he blessed by God, he is God. And that's what that's one of the things that the writer of Hebrews is bringing out. It says here in verse 7, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, thy God, has anointed thee. In other words, it's a testimony of the divinity, the deity of Christ. It speaks of Christ, this king, as God. Now, I don't think, this, I don't think the sons of Korah realized that, but the writer of Hebrews did. Thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of joy above thy fellows. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of joy above thy fellows. So here, really, when we're talking about this king, we're talking about the God-man, Christ Jesus, the one who is truly man and truly God. Well... Uh, I think I'll stop there for this evening. But uh, that's kind of an introduction. And uh, I would encourage you to to uh, be reading this psalm, reading and meditating on it. I guess it'll be a couple weeks before I share on it again. But uh, think about it in terms of Speaking of Christ, we know that's the case. And Christ and the church, and Christ and his bride, because this deals with the marriage of the king. Any uh, thoughts or questions here before I get down? That song, Majestic Sweetness. Yeah. 
Well, Jill, why don't you come on up? We'll sing, we'll sing that one in closing.